Leadership is not you thinking you're the smartest person in the room. Leadership is you listening to the feelings and perspectives of others and serving the people on your team that you've hired that are the best and the brightest at what they do. It's you acknowledging as a leader that you've received something of benefit or value from your amazing team. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Chris Shembra, founder of 747 Gratitude Experience and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Chris is the founder of 747 Gratitude Experience, an evidence-based framework used to strengthen client and team relationships in profound ways. He's used the principles of gratitude to spark over 500,000 relationships around the dinner table, serving Fortune 50 CEOs, Olympians, Academy Award winners, Grammy Award winning recording artists, Super Bowl champions, and many, many more. As a viral marketer, his gratitude campaign, giving tribute and thanks to veterans, has earned over 36 million views, 1.2 million shares, and two Emmy Awards. Chris Shembra is the number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Gratitude Through Hard Times and Gratitude and Pasta. USA Today calls him their gratitude guru. He is also a founding member of the Rolling Stone Magazine's Culture Council and sits on the executive board at Fast Company Magazine. His direct work has been talked about in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Bravo TV, Fox News Channel, Variety, and hundreds of other media outlets. Listen in for some great takeaways about Chris's entrepreneurial journey and how gratitude should be used like a vitamin and can be helpful in all areas of your life like it has been for him. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Chris Shembra, founder of 747 Gratitude Experience and Wall Street bestselling author. Welcome to the show, Chris. Larry, thanks for having me. We had such a great meeting a couple of weeks ago at Ron Carson's group out in Las Vegas, and we both had such vulnerable stories. And gosh, I couldn't be looking forward to this conversation more. Really excited to be here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you at Excel in September of 2022. It's even better to have a little bit of a deep dive and kind of share you and your story with our listeners. So before we jump in, I know your background. I know a bit about you from that experience. But can you share with our audience who Chris Schember is and kind of how you got to where you are today? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That's a journey. <laughs> Who Chris Shembra is? Let's see. Who am I? I love to meditate. I meditate every day, twice a day, transcendental meditation. I grew up with ADHD, 
and they put medicine on me at the age of five, thinking that medicine would really put me on the straight and narrow and clean up my act and help me focus and make me a well-rounded kid. As much as my childhood looked great on the outside, loving parents, wonderful home, great community. I grew up in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. On the inside, it didn't feel so good, didn't feel that way. And so the ADHD medicine created a lot of trauma. It rewired my brain. It made me not remember my entire childhood or most of my childhood. The ages of 5 to 20 are a big old blur. I think what that's done, in order to answer the question of who is Chris Shembra, I think what that's done is given me a tremendous understanding of the different way that people's brains work and the different way that people can feel unseen, truly unsafe or unheard, even in the safe confines of their own home and community. And so Chris today lives every damn waking moment trying to help people feel safe, seen, and heard. I think that's 36 years, 35 years in a nutshell. How did it come about for you kind of forming or starting 747 and the gratitude experience? How did you get to that part of your journey? So 747 gratitude experience was birthed into our life in the middle of the year 2015. If you looked at my life in 2015, again, you would have seen a pretty decently successful dude on paper. Probably like most of your listeners, Larry, uh, I was checking all the boxes. I had a nice home, a nice girlfriend, a nice family, a great job. The industry had said some positive things about my abilities and everything was looking up. But one day I realized that just because your life looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. And I realized that in July of 2015, I'd just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over in the eternal city of Rome. And Rome woke me up. Those Italians, they know how to live. (laughs) They walk different. They talk different. They love different. They honor history different. It was intoxicating. It was beautiful. It was la dolce vita. And when I got home back to New York City, I realized, dang, this ain't it. I was lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, nervous, cautious, anxious. I didn't know which way is up. And that's not a good look for me. See, the last time I felt all those things on the inside was in my early 20s, where I had a deep, dark path of non-suicidal self-injury, depression, jail, rehab. Wasn't a good look for me back then, so I didn't want to go back. I thought, what was it about Rome that changed my life? Well, it's how they ate food, specifically pasta, specifically amongst their community. And I said, that's what I got to do. And I decided to recreate that magic here in New York City. I invented a pasta sauce recipe. Your listeners are going to laugh when I say it. But that pasta sauce changed my life. See, I thought it was good pasta sauce, but I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it was really good or not. And that's, Larry, when it all began. July 15th, 2015, in one of the darkest chapters of my life, 
I decided to host a dinner party. 6.30 p.m. cocktails began. 8 p.m. dinner was served. But at 7.47 p.m., now the name of my company, we dedicated 11 specific tasks, empowering the attendees to work together to create the meal. They served each other. They lowered down their guard. They felt a little bit of a sense of belonging. And we ate some pretty good dinner together. Now, halfway through that dinner, I paused conversation and asked a simple and specific question that would change the course of my history forever. And that was the beginning. That's amazing. So I learned something in terms of I did not put two and two together with regard to the 747 component. And I find that amazing because I love companies that have names that are meaningful. Listen, I did it myself. That's my firm, Mitlin, whether you know it or not, uh, many of our listeners do, is named after my mother, Linda, L-I-N, and my wife's grandfather, Mitchell, the M-I-T. We put it together, Mitlin, because about three or four months after both those people passed away, because by the way, Mitchell and Linda both passed away on the same day, and then I met my wife. As my wife and I were chatting, we started reconciling where we were and why we were where we were, and we had determined that my mom and her grandfather, who were very meaningful people in our lives, both of our lives and great values, passed away within literally hours of each other. So I love that meaningful stuff behind the name because I think it really drives the passion behind it. So can you share with us what is the mission today, right? You went into that dinner party in terms of trying to get some validation or some research with regard to your sauce, right? And you also were looking to recreate that experience that you had gone through and experienced while you were in Rome. It changed your view on things. So what's the mission of 747 and the gratitude experience today? Great question. At that very first dinner, when we got the people to work together and we ate dinner together and we had good pasta sauce together, there was a moment of connection and camaraderie. And it was a really palpable and magical experience. As I mentioned, halfway through that dinner, well, I stood up and told a joke to break (laughs) the ice on the evening. But then I sat down and invited people to participate in a group sharing exercise. And at that very first dinner, July 15, 2015, I plucked a random question right out of my butt. I don't know where it came from. It was simple. It wasn't too easy. It wasn't too hard. But it stuck with us for the last close to eight years. It's a simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or that you never thought to thank, who would that be? When I asked that question at that very first dinner, you could first... Look around the table. They were just these little tiny dinners to start. So you could look around the table of 18 people and you saw people kind of, they breathe, they'd sit back in their chair and you could see their brain just started churning. They started thinking to themselves, holy guacamole, who have I never thought to thank? And they well up with this 
almost regret or guilt or, oh, if I never thought to thank that one person. And we'd go around popcorn style, giving gratitude to these people. So the first person would go and they'd share their story and the second person would go and they'd share their story and so forth and so on. And Larry, everybody cried, whether they were saying that they've never thought to thank their third grade teacher for inspiring them to be a writer, or they had never thought to thank their dead dog, or they had never thought to thank their spouse that was sitting right next to them. Maybe they hadn't thought to thank their mean ex-girlfriend or their horrible first boss. Anything and everything was on the table. And those 18 strangers at the very first dinner left feeling seen and safe and heard and grateful and connected and happy and joy, inspired, wiser, lighter. These amazing, amazing moments. And they went out to go make really amazing, positive, life-affirming actions in their life. That dinner table had an impact. That dinner table saved my life. That dinner table gave me purpose. That dinner table gave me a vehicle to help connect people in the most amazing and authentic and meaningful ways humanly possible. So what's our mission today? Keep doing it. That's it. Keep, keep doing it. And so eventually we got so good around the dinner table that eventually big companies started calling us and saying, hey, Chris, looks like you know how to make people cry around the dinner table. Why don't you do that for our executive team? Why don't you do that for our clients? Why don't you help us build these big programs to create connection and belonging within the workplace? We said, Sure. And so we built a whole company around it. So whether it's in person or virtual, the goal is the same. Help people connect in meaningful ways, help them shift into a positive mindset, help them practice some authentic moments of gratitude, and uh, some pretty amazing stuff happens. Fantastic. So you just said the dinner table saved my life. It sounds like it had a tremendous impact, that dinner table, on every single person to a person that was around it, right? And you were the facilitator there. So why do you say that that dinner table ultimately saved your life as a result of helping all these people? I'll give two answers. The first answer is what we originally went out promoting was a TED Talk by a man named Johan Hari, who the most recent book that he wrote that your listeners can read is called Chasing the Scream, Johan Hari. But he gave a TED Talk about addiction. And in his TED Talk, he says that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. And me, the perpetual addict who spent many a good time in rehab, I knew that I was fight against addiction for my entire life. I surmised by the time those dinners got started, that the darkness that I felt within the soul, or as Mother Teresa would call it, the poverty of the soul that afflicts the nation of the wealthy, I could chalk that up to a lack of connection. And so the dinner table gave me people to connect to in a really meaningful way, in a vehicle to create that connection. I realized that it was really healing my heart from within. But the most recent episode, or the most recent answer to your question that I can give is 
Sarah Algoe is a researcher out of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And she published a research study called The Witnessing Theory. And she surmised that it is very beneficial for people to observe acts of gratitude, to witness acts of gratitude. See, we are helping people practice pro-social gratitude at all our experiences. We give people the platform to share gratitude to others. We help people create the platform to receive gratitude from others, especially on their team. And we create a platform to help people observe acts of gratitude. And so at our dinner table or at any of our virtual gratitude experiences, gratitude is having a positive impact on me, at least, to answer the question, because it feels good for me to give the gratitude. It feels good for me to receive the gratitude for a job well done. And it feels good for me to observe our audience practicing gratitude amongst each other. And so from a scientific benefit, I'm checking all three boxes in one 90-minute experience, whether it's in person or virtual. I think that this is the reason why, but is this how you came about to getting the nickname the Gratitude Guru? I certainly didn't choose it. The Gratitude Guru thingy that you're referring to was bestowed upon us by powers far greater than <laughs> ourselves. And we are honored and grateful to have received it. Uh, USA Today had called us their gratitude guru. So that, that was nice to hear. Gratitude had been the star of these little dinner parties, you know, start off our business eight years ago, seven years ago. And then it became a topic that we really started focusing in on. It became a topic that people began associating us with. It became a topic that I saw that there was a great need in the marketplace for people practicing more gratitude, not in the woo-woo way, but based on the science and psychology of it. A couple of years ago, we decided to dive into the research, the science, the psychology, and the ancient Stoic philosophy around gratitude and arm ourselves with all this great knowledge and wisdom and practices around it. And so I think we were bestowed the gratitude guru because We've probably read every scientific periodical written on the topic of gratitude within the last three years. Thousands and thousands of pages of science and positive psychology and ancient philosophy. And we, uh, I guess, know a thing or two. So it's been a neat thing to be associated with. Are you so passionate about gratitude filling people's lives? Is it more so because... It's been such a tremendous help to you in your life or because you see the benefits that others are reaping from it? Or is it really a combination of all the above kind of for you? It's a combination and, and, and. <laughs> I could sound like a real butthead for saying it, but I won't lie that there's a tremendous commercial opportunity to go alongside with the impact. So first and foremost, gratitude saved my life. Right. It was around those early dinners. Sounds that way. For it sure. was yeah. those dinners were amazing. I mean, to paint the picture for the people. God, I was doing really well in life. Yet I still lived in a 350 square foot studio apartment as a 28 year old on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We were cranking out these dinners, <laughs> 18 person dinners and 300 square feet. 
It was tiny. It was cozy. But it made people feel alive. So gratitude saved my life. And then I watched the impact it had on the people around us. And then once it turned into a company, and once we started realizing the commercial opportunity of using gratitude to help companies build culture and better teams and better relationships with their clients and helping the CEOs just heal themselves as well, we realized there's just a lot of money in the market for this kind of work. It means everything to me. It's pretty much my whole life right now. Yeah. You give us a good segue there in terms of the corporate uses for this, right? And how, how you're involved on the corporate side. And we talk a lot about and with entrepreneurs, a lot of our listeners have their own businesses. I think that you would th- say that there's a correlation between gratitude and leadership, right? What is gratitude have to do with leadership and how can that be incorporated by a leader within their organization? Phenomenal question, Larry. In the simplest answer to that, let's look at the definition of gratitude. The definition of gratitude is the acknowledgement that you've received something of benefit or value from another. In order to be grateful, you have to acknowledge that you're working in relation to others. Right? You sit there and you say, Holy guacamole, I'm not a self-made man. I've received some sort of benefit from others, whether it was a third grade teacher or my parents or the person who held the door open for me or the banker who gave us our first business loan. Like, all right, I didn't get here alone. That in itself inspires humility. Humility isn't you thinking less about yourself. It's just you thinking about yourself less. Gratitude inspires what we call this posture of otherness. You're learning to be more empathetic and have curiosity for others and collaborate with others and connect with others better through the principles of gratitude. Now, that's not too dissimilar from the essential core of what leadership is, right? Leadership is not you thinking you're the smartest person in the room. Leadership is you listening to the feelings and perspectives of others and serving the people on your team that you've hired that are the best and the brightest of what they do. It's you acknowledging as a leader that you've received something of benefit or value from your amazing team. So in its simplest link, it's a tremendous link. As you get down into the nitty gritty, you can learn of tremendous use cases for gratitude amongst a variety of teams, whether you're talking about The research by UC Davis that states that co-workers who express gratitude to each other during a difficult project lower their cardiovascular stress levels. They perform better as a team. You can see statistics by my friend Chester Elton that show that peer gratitude is one of the greatest tools for employee retention known to mankind. You can see studies that show that when you give gratitude to uh, an employee, and they feel authentically validated, safe, seen, and heard, one in three employees, it protects against the statistic that one in three employees would take equal pay and position at your competitors if their employer was more grateful and empathetic, right? So all these kind of different things are great for leadership. I think the best thing that between gratitude and leadership is that grateful leaders listen. Grateful leaders are open to receiving the great innovative and creative ideas from others. And they are open to listening 
to what kind of resources their team needs to get the job done in the best and most efficient way. I think you hit the nail on the head and I see a lot of benefits from gratitude in terms of our organization and the stakeholders and the families we serve. I, I think having that level of gratitude is so key and so beneficial. I think it's clear to myself and it should be clear to our listeners now that there are so many benefits from gratitude, right? And practicing it, receiving it, giving it, whatever side of the coin you want to be on for that matter. Are there rituals or gratitude rituals that folks could be doing to help them kind of get in the habit of practicing gratitude on a regular basis? And what would you recommend along those lines? Some gratitude people are going to hate me saying this. I'm not a believer in creating gratitude habits. Uh, gratitude rituals. What I am a fan of is expressing authentic gratitude when the moment strikes. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we create too many rituals or habits or formulaic responses to stuff, it loses its impact or power. And the idea of waking up and writing down three things that you're grateful for every day could seem like a to-do list, could seem like a chore, could develop resentment over time. So I'm actually not the biggest fan of those things. However, what I'm a really big fan of and what I invite your listeners to think about is what can I do in my daily life that helps me come into the present and acknowledge in the most real way possible how I'm feeling in the moment. And here's an example of that. Two Fridays ago, I was on the phone call with someone that I just met. And boy, did we get jazzed up together. It was exciting. And I messaged them after the call saying, you freaking rock. And they messaged me back saying, gosh, I'm so excited to meet you. I can't wait to go on this journey with you. And then imposter syndrome crept in. Ingratitude popped up. A bunch of regret was circulating in my mind from my previous week. And that led me into a state of ingratitude. I never responded to her email. I only saw the bad in my life around me. I went into a mini little depressive slump. A whole week and a half went by. And I only just realized now that I was operating from a lens of ingratitude, of regret, of shame, of anxiety, of imposter feeling sabotage. The moment today that I realized that, I immediately went and apologized to that person for operating from a lens of ingratitude. And then I opened up my phone and sent out 20 messages of gratitude, video messages of gratitude to people that I was grateful for right now in the moment. So... Would I have sent those 20 video messages if it was a write down 20 video messages to send out today? No, I don't believe in you creating those rituals. However, I was open, honest, and courageous enough with myself to realize, oh my gosh, I'm operating from a lens of ingratitude. Let me observe and label and drive conscious awareness to that negative thought pattern. Let me destigmatize it. Let me lower its power over me. And then let me do 20 micro interventions of gratitude to shift me over the positive. 
I'm having a great day since. Habits, rituals, no. But authentically coming into the present and acknowledging when you feel gratitude or when you're triggered by ingratitude, yeah, there's a thousand things I can recommend for that. That is great. And we had a uh, guest on our show not too long ago by the name of Johnny Crowder, who started an organization called Cope Notes. And basically what they do is they send out some type of mental health related mindset related text every day. And the interesting thing is it comes at a different time every day. So it's not a ritual. And the reason why they do that is because if it comes at one o'clock every day, eventually your brain is going to get used to it and kind of zone out what that thought is that's being shared with you. I think that's to the same point that you're making with regard to making a ritual. It almost becomes so habitual that it's not really making the impact. Whereas if you do it kind of spur of the moment and you're thinking in that framework, it has a lot more impact that way for sure. So I love it. So you say focus equals growth. It's something you say often. Can you share why you feel that way? Yeah. Gosh, golly. So the story behind that, I was skiing in January of 2016 with my friend Dave, my friend Trip. It was a blizzard in New York City and we were we were uh, sledding in Central Park. And we went to a restaurant named Rue 57 after sledding and had a few beers and then went up to his apartment in Midtown. And at the time, Dave knew that I had my dinner parties, I had my career in theater, we had won a couple of awards, we had done some things, we had some other stuff, blah, blah, blah. I had a lot of things that I had been good at. And by January of 2016... I just quit. I just stepped away from running theater company back in December of 2015. So a month later, January of 2016, I'm sitting there not really knowing which direction. I quit my job with no direction of where I was going next. And I was sitting down on the couch with Dave and he said, so what are you going to do next? So, well, I don't know. We've won some Emmys with my social media marketing, uh, I used to run a video production company, so maybe I could do that. Oh, yeah, we've won all these Tonys with the plays. Uh, Oh, we've done that. Oh, my dad has a real estate company. Maybe I could open that up in New York, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I got the dinner parties. And he's like, okay, so you've got all these things. (laughs) He said, Chris, I'm going to say something very simple, and it's the same wisdom that he used to build a $500 million a year sales agency at his company. He said, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. He said, of those things that you just said, video marketing, social media, theater, real estate, dinner parties, what do you think would be the hardest thing for you to pursue? It's like, uh, probably the dinner parties because I had no revenue model around it at the right. time. Right. He said, what do you think will have the biggest impact on people? Probably the dinner parties. He said, which one are you the most emotionally connected to? Probably the dinner parties. He said, good, do that. I said, what if I fail? He said, well, then you'll have all the other stuff to fall back on. Interesting. What if you never tried? Yeah, what if you never tried? What if I never? Jesus, I just can't imagine if I never tried. But 
was so interesting because the focus equals growth mentality is pretty scary. I'm fortunate to surround myself with a bunch of really neat people. And those neat people are always doing awesome, neat things that they want to include me in. I'm very grateful for that. But there were so many times throughout the course of these last seven years that I could have been distracted by some shiny object sitting just to the right of my periphery. And had I gotten distracted by those things, I would have never known the courage or the self-confidence it takes to run our company through our hardest times, through changing business models, through COVID, through different psychological breakdowns, whatever it may be. But I'm, I'm so glad that we stuck with it and that we stuck with it and it alone. We're not trying to hit a home run with this company. We're not trying to create a hundred million dollar a year business. It's a lifestyle business. It's a very good business. We're hitting singles and doubles and we do it on a consistent basis and we do it really, really, really well like Hideki Matsui and we just get it done. And I think that's the focus equals growth mentality. You're making a tremendous impact on the folks that you're working with. And as a leader, right, in your organization, we talked a little bit about leadership a little while ago. I think you've talked about also from a leadership standpoint that it's a two-way street, right? Why is it that some leaders don't understand that it's a two-way street? Because I feel like you almost have to have it, that leadership as a two-way street has to be critical for the success of your company, right? Especially when it comes down to gratitude. Why do you think it's so critical for success? My friend Kat Cole, she was the youngest president of Hooters ever. She grew up to be the CEO of Cinnabon in her 20s. And then she grew up a little bit more to become the president and COO of Focus Brands in her 30s and 40s. And has had a hell of a time leading teams of tens of thousands of people. And her whole theory on leadership is what she calls confident humility. You have to be confident in what you do, yet humble enough to know that you're not the smartest person in the room. It's your job to serve those that you've attracted to work alongside you. And that's a really tricky balance for people is to be confident and humble at the same time. So I learned that from her through the lens of gratitude in terms of giving and receiving. It goes down to being, I think, a real human. If you have a leader who's really good at giving gratitude, but not good at receiving gratitude, it's one thing. If you have a, a leader who's good at receiving gratitude, but isn't good at giving gratitude, that's the next thing. To me, both can be worked on. If you think about a leader who's bad at giving gratitude, but great at receiving gratitude, I point to the story of Jonas Salk, the man who invented the polio vaccine. Jonas Salk invented a great technology. I mean, the truth is his team invented a great technology. They saved hundreds of millions of people's lives. But not once did Jonas Salk in public ever acknowledge the work of his team. And it just so happened, if you do the research, he is not included in the International Medical Science Hall of Fame. 
because he never gave gratitude to anybody. Wow. And that's what I call a piss poor leader. (laughs) (laughs) The other side of it is when you're really good at giving it, but you're not good at receiving it. See, gratitude's good to give. Feels good to give. It's really neat to go to someone and say, you know what, Larry, I'm just so grateful that you did such and such for me three months ago. These are the positive benefits that have happened in my life ever since that one action that you took. And I'm grateful for you for that. Specific, measurable, impactful. You might not receive it because you have a defense against intimacy. You might not receive it because you feel like if you authentically receive that from me, you will then think that you owe me something or that you have to reciprocate that gratitude. It puts up a big wall for you. Now, a leader that has a defense against intimacy will not truly be able to lead their team to the best ability. They won't be able to empathize with their feelings and perspectives. They won't be able to hear their actions or dreams or whatever it may be. Being unable to receive gratitude is a warning sign of much deeper emotional or intimate problems that can negatively affect performance on a team. Yeah, I think it's clear that being able to give as well as receive gratitude is key to a uh, leader's success and the success of their team, for sure. It's a muscle. It's got to be worked on at all times. So, By the way, that's the good news. Some people that are listening to this, you might say, oh, God, I, I got to really, I've fallen off my gratitude practice, or I've never even had a gratitude practice to begin with. Well, the good news is this can be developed over time. You got to be born with IQ. Can't develop that over time. You got to be born with whatever kind of things. But the positive mental attitude and the sense of connection that comes through a gratitude practice, you can shift into that at any moment's notice. That's the great part. And according to the world of positive psychology invented by Marty Seligman at University of Pennsylvania, There's nothing that his studies found that have a more positive and long-lasting effect after a positive psychology micro-intervention than a gratitude intervention. Gratitude is a tool that brings us into the, the scientific term of transcendence. That's where spirituality is. That's where belief and faith and optimism and hope and virtue, all these great things is. Gratitude is the thing that gets us there at any moment's notice. Amazing. Well, listen, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We ask each of our guests the same last question, which is, because this is the Midland Money Mindset, and that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I think the 20 gratitude videos that I sent out today, I think I shifted into an attitude of gratitude, and that's what's going to set me up for success. I convinced myself that I had missed a number of opportunities in the last few weeks. And I really got down on myself. But the more that I thought about it, the more I realized those missed opportunities are of vastly smaller impact to me than the opportunities I'll lose in the future by not being in the right headspace going forward. And so I shifted into the positive and I'm open for new opportunities. 
I thought when you mentioned that story, that might be the case, but I wanted to hear it straight from totally. you. So thank you for sharing that. And listen, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to have all of your information and contact information in the show notes. But if people want to find you, learn more about you, what's the easiest and best place for them to do that? Yeah, for sure. Just reach out to Chris at 747club.org. If you're a leader and you're leading a team or you have a great community of customers or partners or clients or investors, whatever, our virtual or in-person gratitude experiences, we'd love to have a conversation with you about how to bring your people together in the most meaningful way humanly possible. So thanks for having me today, Larry. Hey, thanks, Chris. And we were involved in one of those at Excel 2022. So uh, I can attest it's a great experience, very eye-opening and very thought-provoking and starts working that gratitude muscle that you should be working if you want to be a leader. So thanks for joining us, Chris. I appreciate it and make it a great day. Thanks, Larry. I want to thank Chris Shembra for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Chris has taken his personal life events and the value he has found in practicing gratitude to create the entrepreneurial venture he is on today. Personally, Chris has found the practice of gratitude to be a life changer and has seen countless other benefits too and wants others to understand those benefits. Chris and the 747 Gratitude Experience, along with his books, can be found across most social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.